The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in its consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a traditional Catholic priest in the Society of St. Pius V. And he serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And you? Great, Father. Great Good to be to here. See you. Yes, you too. Uh, any prayer requests as usual, Father, to begin the show tonight? Yes. As a matter of fact, I started writing, writing down. Um, of course, even that, I can't possibly uh, mention everyone. All of those on the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list need our prayers, certainly. And we thank Mary for conducting that for these years, yeah. and Bridget before her for years. Uh, it's been a great help. It has brought a lot of prayers for those in need. But I do mention uh, prayers needed for Richard Wilt. Uh, Rich had a mild heart attack. Home now, but the doctors are concerned about him, so please uh, please keep him in your prayers. And also for Paul Riley, of course, and his family, his heroic wife, uh, Amy, as well. Uh, pray for them, that Paul recover as fully and as quickly as possible. Continue your prayers for Dr. David Hofrichter and his recovery as well. And also Jim Sank and Ray Sisicki, Donna King. Please pray for Cliff Hogan and... Uh, Jim and Pat Tootie, pray for Bernie Kunkel and young Luke Kunkel. Please continue your prayers for Monica Condit, who wrote a mother with many children, uh, cancer. We're praying for her and for Tom Wright. And uh, again, there are so many others. Not a day goes by that I don't get four or five requests for prayers. So I received a prayer from Mike Montezano, a request for prayers from Mike Montezano for his as a nephew who was rushed to the hospital also in very serious condition today. So um, these, and these are just a few of those, but uh, please do keep them all in your prayers. Mm -hmm. okay. All you have to do is reference uh, those intentions uh, entrusted to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Our Lady knows them all and she never forgets or overlooks a single one of her children. So you'll be confident that prayers offered that way will be, will be heard soon. Okay, very good. Well, Father, um Perhaps uh, something else we need to, to pray for would be uh, during this month of June. Uh, we mentioned last week how um, you know traditional Catholics celebrate the month of June is dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and uh, we hope to uh, speak a few more words on that in tonight's program. But uh, we know the the world um, kind of um, as opposed to the devotion to the Sacred Heart celebrates their month of pride, um, dedicated to uh, sense of, of of perversion. And there's a very uh, I'd say a disturbing article um, that we uh, 
came came onto today. Uh, I believe it might have been published yesterday. That talked about um, some uh, some online uh, meeting that happens uh, between some thirty teachers uh, between these uh, midwestern states here in the United States. It wasn't uh, this article says an online session hosted by the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center, um, which is funded by the Department of Education. And then this um, very disturbing I think it was a four hour long session uh, where these teachers. Uh, they, they talked about um, methods and tactics they could use uh, to um, kind of just promote this, this, these sense of perversion in their schools and how primarily they could keep this secret, uh, keep this hidden from the parents, um, mm -hmm. kind of even, even assist their students um, in practicing these, these sense of, of perversion and, and guide them in that all while um, hiding this from the parents, as we say. So definitely something very disturbing, Father. This, um, as I say, was, was funded by the Department of Education and this um, Midwest Plains Equity Assistance Center. But uh, what was your, your thought in, in reading through that article, Father, and seeing this um, just deceit of, of these, these teachers? Uh, unfortunately, Tom, I consider it to be typical of those who uh, uh, hate God, uh, and therefore necessarily will hate parental authority because parental authority comes from God. And, um, you know, that you mentioned this so-called Pride Month, the month of pride. It really is an infernal, a diabolical pride that they've just uh, raised up to defy uh, God and God's order, God's creation. Um, it reminds you of, of St. Paul's words talking about a, a, uh, a world so corrupt that it it boasts of the things it should be ashamed of. And that's exactly what we're looking at now. Uh, the great apostle of the Sacred Heart, uh, in our own day, Father Matteo, uh, even talks about uh, these, this perverted world and keeping oneself uh, free from this perverted world. And, of course, that harkens back to our Lord's own word about his apostles and his disciples and his own day as being in the world but not of the world. And that is what we all must be today, especially today in this world. We must be, although in the world, not of this world. And, um, but the world, as our Lord says, hates him, and it will hate us too. He said that to his apostles. Wonder not that the world hates you. And uh, the reason why the world hates you is because the world hates me, and you, you love me, and the world hates you for your love of me and your fidelity to me. And so it will be. You know that this coming Saturday, uh, there is going to be this pride march parade, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, through the streets of Cincinnati. And uh, um, there are going to be those down there among us, ourselves, praying. We're going to be praying at the courthouse, uh, the, the Hamblin County Courthouse, as we do the first Sunday of each, each month. But uh, this month, we're going to be also down there, uh, hopefully in force um, this Saturday, June 24th at 10.30 in the morning uh, to pray the 15 decks of the rosary in reparation, uh, in reparation to Almighty God for the insults that this terrible uh, crime, uh, you know, represents to the majesty of God. Um, you know, this sin that they glorify uh, and basically make it their cult fetish, because it is a cult. 
the entire thing, the whole LGBTQ thing, a little, little bit, I mean, if you want to try to pronounce it as a word, uh, um, lugabut, right? This lugabut thing, the LGBTQ thing, is nothing but a cult. It's a cult of uh, a fetishism, is what it is. And um, like any cult, it, it hates anyone who's against the cult, and it will destroy anyone who opposes the cult. It certainly punishes anyone who tries to leave the cult. Uh, it has all the earmarks uh, of a cult, even though I think that the word cult is overused these days. It certainly applies here. Um, and it is a cult very closely allied with the occult, because it is a di demonic cult, uh, glorifying perversion and, uh, and corruption. Now, that's why when this, was, uh, when this came to light, Unfortunately, I mean, the, it came to light through the Daily Mail website. The Daily Mail um, uh, exposed this and called it an expose. Uh, but the Daily Mail website itself has many things <clears throat> that are extremely worldly, uh, so that you couldn't even recommend that, you know, a, a normal person or ordinary uh, person go uh, onto the site because of all the things that they have that are very suggestive. Uh, this was written up, the Daily Mail expose was written up by the Daily, <clears throat> the Daily Wire, uh, a website um, I understand hosted by, um, or at least run by a man named Ben Shapiro. And although, again, Mr. Shapiro believes in the natural law, evidently, uh, he manifestly does not believe in our Lord, and so I ask you to please pray for him, um, that if there is goodwill on his part, that God can work with that, and lead him to the grace of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, and recognize Jesus Christ as his Savior. I think we need to pray for uh, Ben Shapiro, who's fighting a fight, and uh, he's often on the right side, I think, but... That is not by faith, but by kind of nature, I think. But pray that God complete that with the grace of faith. <clears throat> In any case, what you're talking about, Tom, is horrific. And I'm going to quote from the Daily Wire website about this, if you don't mind. It says, several dozen Midwestern teachers discussed ways to transition their students' gender without alerting parents in an online chat room this week, they were actually, they met for four hours to discuss this 30-plus teachers and administrators from various states of the Midwest, including Iowa, Michigan, Illinois, and Ohio. They met in an online chat room. It was hosted by the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center, which is um, represented by MAP, MAP, an organization that has received and is now receiving millions of dollars in federal funding. In fact, uh, they just announced in November they'd received another $8.5 million in federal funding from the Department of Education. And that's just the scratching the surface of the millions of dollars they received. This Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center, which is actually the organization behind this group of teachers here, are meeting clandestinely online, they say subversively, 
they actually say themselves subversively going behind the parents back to uh, transition the gender of their children so the parents cannot find out and will not be aware that this is happening to their own children. So you have, think of it, you have children, parents who are sending their children to these public schools and this is what's going on behind those closed doors. This is what the teachers are doing to their children behind the closed doors and they are concealing it from the, precisely those parents who would object and yet they are sending their children there. You might say naively expecting that their children are going to escape from this unscathed. This is the kind of monster you have now standing before your children in the classroom, you know? And it doesn't mean that, that all the teachers are bad and evil, not, not at all, you know? I'm sure there are many of the teachers who teach there who are of goodwill and really respect the parental authority. But the fact is, all it takes is one. And here we've got 30 plus of these teachers and administrators who are actually conspiring uh, get together um, in the chat room funded by the United States government to transition children in not only without the ch parents' knowledge or consent, but actually in spite of their parents. Uh, it says the Daily Game Mail gained access to the four-hour workshop, which was centered on reviewing various new educational statutes to, quote, remedy the marginalizing effects and disruptive problematic policies, end quote. They mentioned, uh, they even mentioned certain names. Kim Kimberly Martin, who was the DEI coordinator for Royal Oaks Schools in Michigan. The DEI coordinator. DEI means diversity, equity, and inclusion, okay? DEI, I mentioned that before. The letters spell the word Dei, which in Latin means of God, and this is not of God, certainly. It's almost a mockery uh, by even calling it the DEI program. But she's the DEI, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Coordinator for Royal Oak Schools in Michigan. When you have a school that has someone in that capacity, an office by that name, you know it's time to run. Uh, she described her efforts to hide elements of social transition, such as changing a student's name from their parents. When you talk about the gender-affirming uh, program, okay, you're talking about a program which involves transitioning children socially, but also medically and legally to a different gender <clears throat> than the one they were assumed to be when they were born. <laughs> That's what they say the assumption was false because they're really not of that gender which they were assigned when they were born. This is how these people think. Quote, we're working with our record-keeping system so that certain screens can't be seen by the parents. If there's a nickname or there's or in there or they're trying to hide. So if there's something that the child is trying to hide from the parent or there's something that the school administrator or teacher is trying to hide from the parent, they have screens that the parents can't access, can't access and might not even know exist. <coughs> this is what this uh, Kimberly Martin says. And Jennifer Hagland, they quote her, counselor for Ames Community Schools in Iowa, condemned Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds for signing a law in March barring males from competing in female sports teams and bragged about her personal activism 
for the Lebet cause, the LGBTQ cause. I know that I have my own right code of ethics, she says, and that doesn't always go along with the law, Hagland says. Now, whether Hagland is merely a, is, uh, a male who identifies as a female, a female who identifies as a male, or neither, I don't know. They, they may use the, the pronouns, but you really don't know what the reality is here. And Shay Martin, an Ohio-based teacher and contributor, by the way, right here in Ohio, an Ohio-based teacher and contributor to far-left blog Radical Teacher, said, I think that requires working subversively and quietly sometimes to make sure that trans kids have what they need, meaning in spite of their parents' wishes, okay? So um, this is what we're dealing with here. Martin also says, as Kimberly Martin says, she also had worked against, quote, laws that prohibit or restrict trans advocacy. Uh, she also says that in discussions with elementary age students, teachers should avoid treating reinforced heterosexuality as the norm. So teachers have to avoid talking about he or she, male or female, in a conventional way, really, because it just reinforces um, the stereotypes, as, they, as these people would say. Uh, and the Daily Mail actually talks about teachers talking to five-year-olds, five-year-olds about these things, talking to actually these teachers addressing five-year-olds about these things, and also gives a little insight into the monies that are being given. Um, again, um, it says here that Shay Martin, whom I just mentioned here, uh, is an Ohio-based trans educator who writes a socialist, feminist, and anti-racist blog. That wasn't mentioned in the, uh, that I saw in the uh, Daily Wire article. But that Shay Martin, an Ohio-based trans educator, writes a socialist, feminist, and anti-racist blog called The Radical Teacher. So this is the kind of thing that's going on. Kimberly Martin did not describe any subversive acts that she had done, but later spoke about teachers addressing sexuality with elementary students who are aged between 5 and 10 years old. And parents, parents have, to, have to wake up, they have to be aware of what's going on here. Um, they mention names in the articles here, and uh, it would be very interesting for parents uh, to go online and check, maybe and see, well, who, who are these people in my own schools? In the schools I'm sending my children to? Are these, are these actually so-called educators in the schools where I'm sending my children? And are my children under control of these people when they are in the walls of that school? Um, how is this possible? What am I doing to my children here? Uh, it says here, some traditional parents worry about activist teachers influencing their kids with radical gender ideas and even encouraging them to transition. And this is part of the problem. There are parents who are discovering what's going on and actually now claiming that these teachers are pressuring their children, not just, you know, offering them options, but actually pressuring their children to, to change their genders as though that were possible. It's intrinsically impossible 
to change your gender. You'd have to change the Y and the X chromosomes, and that's impossible. All you can do is uh, change clothes or get out the knife and do surgeries, which the very fact of the violence of this shows how wrong it is. The fact that you have to actually perform a surgery to try to, to mimic the other gender, doesn't that indicate how absurd this really is? and how, how nonsensical it really is. Um, but they will not hesitate to do this. Parents are saying their children have been pressured into this and actually fallen into this mindset. And so the parents are the adversary now. It says Republican politicians in red states have introduced more than 500 bills affecting Lugabit, uh, LGBT uh, people this year with dozens already signed into law, says the Human Rights Campaign, a Ligabit LGBT advocacy group. If you look at those 500 bills that have already been introduced or passed, and the others to follow, they're all about parents' rights. The Republicans are all about insisting that parents must be given the rights to this. And this is what these people are absolutely opposed to. They say they're coming for your children. They mean it. When Joe Biden says, your children belong to us, when his uh, Saint-Pierre uh, uh, spokeswoman says, your children belong to us, they're, they're our, our LGBT community, she means it. They all mean it. They're coming for your children, and they are going to deprive you of any parental rights. Uh, and the Republican... Uh, Republicans, to the extent that they're actually functioning as Republicans, uh, are actually introducing bills to try to secure parental rights, and for this they're being vilified. It's time that parents be heard. Uh, parents who speak out about these things at, um, at school board meetings are not only vilified and shut down, but they're actually being harassed. They're being harassed by, by federal agencies. Uh, they're actually being threatened before because they're standing up and objecting to this in school board meetings. You knew that. And uh, this is what's going on right now. And it's time that the parents, the parents of America uh, decide, you know, they're going to come together. There were parents out in California in one locale who were so fed up with the, uh, the, uh, the homosexual activism of the school board that they, there was actually uh, a, a brawl. And the parents actually put their foot down and said no more. Many of them, I understand, were from the Armenian community. And the Armenians are Christians who have uh, kept their faith in Christ despite all the pressures from the Muslim community, and they're not going to put up with this. Oddly enough, the Muslims, too, have, uh, have risen up and said in certain places, you cannot allow these, we're not going to allow your LGBTQ rainbow flags anywhere in our communities. Kind of curious, right? And yet, where are the Christian parents, the Catholic parents? Where are they? Where are they in all of this? They're silenced by their, quote-unquote, bishops. That's where they are. They are being neutralized by their so-called bishops. You know? We saw one great event happen out in Los Angeles involving the Los Angeles Dodgers, who honored these, these perverted, um, um, what, what would you call them, uh, Halloween characters who are claiming to dress up as nuns, the characters of nuns. They had an empty stadium when the Dodgers decided to honor these creatures. 
these poor, poor creatures. Uh, but outside the stadium were, were thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of those who objected. And they were not all Catholics, although they had one bishop there, I understand, named Strickland, a Novus Ordo bishop, uh, who actually had called for this and uh, spiritually led it, addressed the crowd. But I understand that there were Muslims and Jews in the crowd too, who at least evidently believe in the natural law of God. So pray for them. God, pray for them that they come to faith. Anyway, the article in the Daily Wire uh, ends by saying this, and I think this is an instructive. Conservative parents groups have sought to ban books from classrooms and school libraries, including Maya Kubabi's graphic memoir, Gender Queer, about the author's struggle with her own sexual and gender identity. And so this is now what's going to be speaking to the children in their libraries and public schools. Schools are under pressure to assist trans students in this fractious political environment where the gender-affirming model touted by the American Academy of Pediatrics and other bodies is increasingly called into question. Called into question, thank goodness, people are beginning to question this propaganda. MAP, which has hosted, which hosted the workshop of teachers, is part of the Great Lakes Equity Center funded by the federal government under the Title IV, under Title IV of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. It serves 11.2 million students in 7,025 school districts across the 13 states. And that's the Middle Midwest Teachers Group that came together secretly in the chat, chat room to undermine parents' rights here. So parents, be warned. In November, MAP announced that it had secured an $8.5 million funding arrangement with the Department of Education and millions more elsewhere. The department did not immediately answer, in this case, Daily Mail's request for comment. This is actually from the Daily Mail, not from the Daily Wire here. MAP operates across Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. Parents of children in those states, parents of children who are attending public schools, pay attention, please. Heads up, the federal government is funding, is funding groups that are actually using activist teachers to transition your children behind your back. And uh, you need to know this and you need to do something about it. So please uh, be parents. The, um, the evil of all this time is just beyond, uh, beyond expression. Mm -hmm. you know? But it's all part of the larger program of the globalists to uh, promote transhumanism. And transgenderism is one aspect of this. But it's a big aspect because if they figure they, figure they can get people to accept this, even if they don't like it. But just to swallow this, even if they're gagging when they do, if they can get this, ram this down people's throats, then they can convince them of anything. And transhumanism will follow uh, very easily after this. So this is where the battle is being fought right now. It has to be fought by parents. Father, why is this particular vice of perversion, um whatever you want to call it, why, why is it so militant? Why, um, if there weren't 
say if there were public school teachers who maybe had these uh, these dispositions or, or practiced the, these sins, sins of perversion, why um, why are they not content just to leave that in their own personal life? Why is there just this, this militancy behind this that it has to be forced on, on everyone? Um, everyone has to accept this and even those who don't maybe don't have those dispositions, they're going to be pressured and forced into this, this mm -hmm. perverted lifestyle. Why is well, that's a very good question. Because remember, you know, when uh, back in the 60s, there were laws passed to, uh, with regard to homosexuality and displays and so on. Uh, the plea was, look, the, the government needs to stay out of the bedroom. Uh, in the bedroom, it's, it's private between people. And, uh, you know, the, the state should stay out. Then others would say, well, the church needs to stay out of that with its morality. I mean, there has to be like this somewhat sanctuary where two people can just uh, live their lives and not be, uh, you know, dictated to by government, whether it be a government of the state or government by the church. So, so we were told, okay. And you see where that really leads here. They say, you know, the privacy of the bedroom, let it stay in the bedroom. Now it's all over the streets. It's all over the airways. It's everywhere, as you say. They're pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. So much for this idea of leave us alone, don't bother us. You know, just let us... I mean, if they, if they, would, if they would say, well, we're, we're taking it back into the bedroom, we're taking it back into the closet, I, I think a lot of people would be relieved right now, saying, yes, keep this perversion to yourself. Keep your own corrupt fetishes to yourself. But you see, the reason why they can't do it is because it, it really is diabolical. It, it's like it's got the mania of Satan himself. Satan is driven by a maniacal hatred. And um, he wants to destroy whatever order God has created in order to uh, assert himself and uh, somehow claim the victory insofar as he can. Um, this is, this is a, a mania uh, that, he, that, that drives him. Uh, and so it is. I mean, those who partake of these, um, these uh, immoral fetishes there, they, they have to uh, somehow get everyone to accept them and even glorify them. Um, uh, the malice that they show toward those who oppose them is just, it really is diabolical. It's sort of like the malice of those who oppose, a, who, uh, who promote abortion, who oppose pro-life. They actually hate pro-life people. They hate them. Almost as much as they hate the baby in the womb. I mean, they destroy that baby in the womb because the baby is a threat to their life and lifestyle and as a threat to what they live for, um, their fetish, they, uh, you know, the, the baby is their enemy and must be destroyed, is marked for destruction. And those who would stop them, would, would try to stop them from aborting a baby, legally, or, uh, in their conscience even, appealing to their conscience, are really objects of hatred. But it all gets back to what our Lord himself said to his apostles at the Last Supper. Wonder not if the world hates you. St. John the, the Apostle in last Sunday's epistle uh, says it, it starts with exactly those words. Uh, My dear children, wonder not that the world hates you. 
because it hated Christ before you. And our Lord says that himself. Do not be surprised if the world hates you, because that they hated me before you. It comes down to a hatred for Christ himself. It comes down to a hatred for the Father, God the Father. And that hatred drives them. Despite all of their talk of love, it is hatred that actually drives them. How are Catholics and people of goodwill supposed to, to fight that hate, Father, if there's this maniacal... Well, the only thing that can actually oppose this hatred is love, and that is a love for God. Um, there has to be a very profound love for God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in us. Uh, if we try to make meet fire with fire in the sense of the fire of hell with the fire of hell, we're not helping. We're just adding hatred to hatred. And there are those who think that they can resist uh, this, this onslaught of hell by, by actually cultivating their own hatred against it. But that's not true. They can only actually make it worse uh, by you know, measuring hate for hate and inflicting hate for hate. Uh, the only strength, the only power that can possibly oppose and overcome this, not only socially, but in the individual's soul that is unfortunately corrupted by this, this evil. The only force that can possibly meet this and overcome it is a, is a love for God, a powerful love for God, and a love for the order that God himself has established here. Uh, otherwise, you can't uh, you know, oppose sin with sin. You can't oppose one person's sin by a, with a sin of your own, a sin of hatred and malice. Uh, yes, we, are, we have to hate the sin. But again, hatred for the sin has to arise out of love for God. You know, a love, love for God necessarily is, is um, you know, echoed by a hatred for all that is anti-God and all that denies him and all that offends him. And that is sin. Now, one would have to think of it in the sense that, you know, you, you have millions of people out there who have cancers, but no one in his right mind would say, I love cancer and I hate the people who have the cancer and I'm rooting for the cancer to kill them. Only a very deranged person would do that. Only a satanic person could say something like that. But the cancer is the sin. And the reason why you hate the cancer is because it is destroying the life that God gave, it is actually um, uh, killing the, the, the person, and you should have a love for that person. That person was created by God, and our Lord suffered for that person's salvation and wants that person to be saved. And even now, even, even as they march down the street screaming their blasphemies and challenges to God, God knows what they could be if they would cooperate with the grace that he has. And that's, you, that's where you and I come in. Our, our job here is to, uh, our mission here from God, is to obtain those graces for them that can transition them really from the state of mortal sin to the state of sanctifying grace. But only, only God's grace can do that to them. So that's the real transition. I mean, that's the tradition, transition that God wants for all of us, including them. He wants them to transition from the state of mortal sin to the state of sanctifying grace. He wants to give them everlasting life. He knows how 
saintly and holy and beautiful those souls could be if they would just if they would just convert to him their lord and for the, he's willing to put up with all of this for the sake of those who will actually find their way to him and repent and be saved he's willing to put up with all that stuff. it's amazing but that's that's the immeasurable uh, depth of God's love, that he's willing to put up with all of that. Mm -hmm. For the sake of the perhaps very few, we hope more than that, but perhaps very few who actually will, will actually come to him finally in repentance and, and grace. But you and I have to pray for that. And that means we have to perhaps, yes, like our Lord, suffer for that too. Yeah. Uh, we have to stand up for our faith, though. We have to stand up. We have to profess our faith and our hope and our love for our Lord. And that's what we intend to do down there uh, at the courthouse uh, this coming Saturday and every first Sunday and as often as we can uh, to profess our faith and our hope and our love for our Lord. Well, Father, with what you're describing here, could, could there be a, a better devotion for Catholics to practice than devotion to the, to, to the Sacred Heart of Jesus? I mean, isn't that devotion um, essentially devotion to the love of God and what you, you are des describing here. It is. It, it is exactly Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be the, the perfect counterpart to this? And could a, could a Catholic do better today than, mm -hmm. than to practice devotion to the Sacred Heart? Yes, yes. Actually, uh, what you're saying, Tom, is, uh, is, is that true? The devotion to the Sacred Heart is the devotion for our times. I mean, I know the Novus Ordo is trying to replace devotion to the Sacred Heart with a devotion, as they call it, to the divine, divine mercy, in which they show our Lord in a white robe with two rays of light coming from his breast, uh, one red, pinkish, and the other kind of white or golden color, whatever. But there's no heart. They've actually taken the heart out of that image, and they're trying to replace it now the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus with that, that divine mercy. It's, it's, a, it's a new order devotion, which is a step away from our Lord and His Sacred Heart. It actually eliminates the Sacred Heart from that devotion. It's so sad. Like mercy without the Sacred Heart of Jesus. This is possible. Um, there are even mockeries of this in the modern world. Um, even, uh, uh, the, the, remember the movie E.T., the film E.T.? It showed, I didn't see it, but it was described for me, and I saw still photographs of it. E.T. coming out of the ambulance, and so he was rising from the dead in a white robe, and there are these rays of light coming out of his chest, you know, and he comes out like the Savior, you know. Uh, a mockery of the idea, but actually kind of perhaps even a forecast of this divine mercy devotion, which is not devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, as the Church herself has required of, of us for all these, these hundreds of years. Um, in fact, our Lord himself um, told, uh, I believe, St. Gertrude, that this would be the devotion for the latter times of the world, devotion to the Sacred Heart, because it represents so beautifully the love of God in a world that would have lost the very meaning of love, and um, certainly the, had, had rejected the love of God, that the devotion to the Sacred Heart would be the devotion for that time. 
it is the devotion for our times. Um, it, you know, the devotion to the Sacred Heart of our Lord is not just a devotion to a symbol, because God really has a human heart, a human heart made of cells, made of uh, flesh. It's a real human heart. In the incarnation, that heart formed within the womb of our Blessed Mother, within the conceived body of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made man, that heart one moment began to beat. And uh, that, so that heart continued to beat throughout our Lord's life until it was stilled upon the cross and finally then sliced open with the broad spear of the soldier. And the whole world, in a sense, was able then to look into that open heart of our Lord there and see that it is a sanctuary for mankind there, for sinful mankind. Um, so we must hold tenaciously uh, to that um, sacred heart of our Lord, the very um, centerpiece, you might say, of his incarnation. And um, we must represent that sacred heart not only as a mere symbol, but as a reality. But this is the very heart of God, uh, substantially united to the divine word of God from uh, who exists from all eternity as the Son of God. And uh, we must honor the sacred heart of Jesus as such. So anyway, that's what we intend to do, Tom, and that's what all of us should do. We should not concede, we should not concede the rainbow symbol of the Bible as a sign of God's peace and mercy to this, this perverse cause. We should not, absolutely not, concede the month of June uh, to the glorification of this, this anti-God, anti-Christian rainbow uh, and give up, uh, secede it the month of June away from the Sacred Heart of Jesus. We must never do that. We have to insist, though, no, June is consecrated to the Sacred Heart. And all those who would be faithful to God and love Him will cling to that devotion and will represent that devotion and will never cease to, to promote that and to uh, proclaim it. You know, that, that this is the sacred heart of Jesus. It's as though, it's as though every time you and I, or anyone who loves our Lord, actually holds that sacred heart of Jesus out before the world, whether it's on our flags, our emblems, a picture, whatever it might be, that we are taking the part of our Lord when he appeared to St. Margaret Mary in, uh, the, in the chapel of her convent, when our Lord took the heart out of his chest and held it before her and said, Behold the heart which has so loved mankind and which is rewarded with so much forgetfulness, negligent, and contempt. And so we hold that very heart of Jesus before the world. And uh, we appeal to the world to recognize the heart of God, the heart of the Savior, reaching out to him. Mm -hmm. Father, how could Catholics uh, better understand and practice the devotion through the Sacred Heart? I um, recently heard an interesting point where someone said that, uh, you know, it, it may be a bit more easier and more, more tangible to celebrate other, other feast days uh, throughout the liturgical year where so many uh, great feast days that we celebrate are, are tied to um, actual physical events in our Lord's life, like we celebrate the Nativity, uh, of our Lord, or the resurrection of our Lord. These are actually events that we can 
uh, meditate upon the, the circumstances around them. We have descriptions, uh, narratives that we can read of these events. But with the, the Sacred Heart um, devotion, the, sacred, the feast day of the Sacred Heart, um, it's maybe, um, there's, you know, it's not a particular event in our Lord's life. Um, so how can we, we better understand and learn more about that? Well, devotion? it is actually a particular event in our Lord's life. See, it harkens back to Good Friday. You know, the events um, that we witnessed on, on Good Friday of our Lord's crucifixion death, we read in St. John's Gospel about the piercing of our Lord's heart. So then we come through Holy Saturday, the resurrection on Easter Sunday. We have all of these events that have unfolded before our very eyes all this time, our Lord's resurrection, our Lord's ascension, the feast of the the Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, and then, after that octave, the sacred heart of our Lord. So you see a kind of narrowing down, in a sense, to focus on that. It's as though the liturgy takes us from that moment when our Lord's heart was opened on the cross, right? A moment that follows immediately upon et expiravit, and he expired, okay? He expired there. It is consummated, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then we kneel down, and we have a moment of silence. Remember that? On Good Friday, reading St. John's Gospel. When our Lord expires, and immediately when we stand up from that moment of silence, we read about the opening of the side and the piercing of the heart of our, our Lord's, uh, in our Lord's breast. And from that moment, it's as though we are proceeding step by step um, celebration by celebration, feast by feast, to again focus on that heart, not now dead upon the cross, but alive, glorified in heaven. So we go from the heart of our Lord, our Lord dead upon the cross, that heart stilled, opened, bled, right? The water and the blood drained out and washing down our Lord's side. Uh, that's the image of the Sacred Heart we see on, on the, at the foot of the cross on Good Friday. And it's as though from that moment on, we are being led step by step, step by step, through beholding our Lord's heart, in a sense, as it, in, as it, as it is in heaven right now. And as it is in the tabernacle, in the Blessed Sacrament, our Lord's heart is truly present there. But this is not the the dead heart of our Lord hanging in death upon the cross. Now, this is the risen, glorified, living heart of Jesus that we recognize now as triumphant in heaven and still open to receive us, still as a sanctuary in heaven for every one of us. So, um, I mean, there is so much that one could meditate upon this. <laughs> It, it's inexhaustible, and we talk about that, the inexhaustible love of God represented in, in the sacred heart of Jesus, present in the sacred heart of Jesus. Um, you know, we, we pray, when we have the litany of the sacred heart, we ask Almighty God the Father to look upon the heart of His Son. You know that? The prayer that comes after the, at the end of the litany, we ask the Father to regard the heart of His Son, which is right there at His right hand in heaven right now. 
the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, now risen, glorified in heaven. Right? We ask the Father to regard that, that, that actual fleshly heart of his Son and to see there the wounds that he suffered for us and as our mediator, mediator between ourselves and, and, our, and our God in heaven. And it really should also awaken in us a certain sense, again, of the Father, because that's where the Church directs us to pray, uh, to pray that the Father would regard the heart of His Son in heaven and be moved to mercy for us on that. And uh, Tom, this is the theme that I've taken up time and time again lately. You know that. Uh, and I will again very soon, even at the upcoming men's retreat, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how uh, at the Last Supper, our Lord focused on the Father and His relationship as the Divine Son to the Father. And how He wanted us to see in the Almighty and Eternal Father, His Father, He wants us to find our Father here. He wants us to find our Father, who, our Father here below. We read... We just read in, in, the, in the epistles of St. Paul, especially Ephesians, the feast of the sacred heart, all fatherhood in creation is named after the fatherhood of God. All fatherhood is named after his fatherhood. And this is in the feast of the sacred heart. We're told to look there. So we need to start paying attention to what we're, we're reading in the epistles and the gospels. And that lets them sort of wash over us as though, you know, water over a duck's back, uh, as though it doesn't penetrate. And we need to see our Lord's words at the Last Supper, what he did say to the apostles about, about the Father. And we need to learn what the Church tells us. What does the Church itself actually say to us with regard to devotion to God the Father? Um, well, when we, when we honor the Sacred Heart of our Lord, Again, the Church directs, directs us to pray, asking God the Father to regard the heart of His Son as we do. And you might say that that is the, I guess the Germans say, Treffpunkt, the, the meeting point between our focus or where our focus should be now and where we're asking God the Father to focus now to. We're asking, we ourselves are, are saying we need to have devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And we need that to be our focal point. And that's where we look, the sacred heart of our Lord. Even as we're asking the Father in heaven to look upon the heart of that Son, as we do. And um, as we call upon the Father in heaven to look upon the sacred heart of Jesus, even as we ourselves are calling upon each other and ourselves to regard the sacred heart of Jesus. <coughs> Again, that's, that's where the Father's gaze and ours should meet, right at that point. So there can't be a more powerful devotion than the Sacred Heart of our Lord. It, it, it includes the mysteries of the Trinity, the Incarnation, the Redemption. They're all there. Mm -hmm. That's uh, where we need to return right now. That's, a, um, I think, maybe a, a pretty powerful thought that we have that... Um, that ability to offer such a powerful um, sacrifice to our Lord through the agency of the... Of the but we're not offering that sacrifice. I mean, to, to, to God the Father, sorry. See, that's, <laughs> the, that's the thing. We, we, we don't really 
um, how should I say, it, it doesn't really occur to us that often, you know, at the Mass, and I'm going to talk about this in the retreat, you know, we say we're offering the Holy Sacrifice to the Mass. It's true. You know that. The, the Mass is the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary. And we focus on that idea of our Lord Jesus Christ offering that sacrifice. We say he is the priest who is offering the sacrifice. He is the victim who is offered in the sacrifice. And his intention is the sacrifice be offered for our salvation. So in him he combines the role of the priest and the sacrifice and the intention of the sacrificer uh, all together. And that's wonderful. But, you know, what the church wants us to understand is that our Lord is offering that sacrifice to someone. And the church wants us, as our Lord himself does, to look through our Lord, per dominum nostrum, Jesum Christum, filium tuum, per dominum nostrum, through our Lord, Jesus Christ, thy Son, wants us to look through him to the Father because the sacrifice is being offered to the Father. And this is what the Mass is all about, the offering of this sacrifice to the Father. And if our thoughts never get through our Lord to the Father, we're missing something very, very important. So, you know, they say that many, not all, but many of those who are giving to, the, to, to this natural vice, fall into it, and they fall into it so many times. Sometimes they're lured into it. Sometimes they are actually imposed upon by others who have gotten there first, you know. But they say that with some of them, it's just they don't have a proper relationship with their own father or mother or something. And, uh, you know, the remedy is this real relationship with God the Father. We have to have this real relationship with God the Father. Our Lord knows that. His divine Son knows that. He came to reconcile us to the Father, to give us this absolutely indispensable relationship we must have with our Creator as our Father. And uh, if we look at the words of our Lord at the Last Supper, we look at the, um, the, the words of the Church and the, and the Holy Mass, we find that exact point, that we must go through our Lord to the Father, and that's why our Lord came, so that we could do that. He gave us access to the Father. Um, that is the one relationship that, above all, is going to matter with all of us, each and every one of us. And we wish that all of those who marched down the, the street on June 24th in Cincinnati will come to that by the grace of God, through our Lord, that they will come to the real relationship that we should have as God's creatures, but adopted by grace, and we recognize that it was truly our Father mm -hmm. in heaven. Okay. So, well, yeah, thank you for all that, Father. Very beautiful thoughts on the Sacred Heart. Very fitting for the month of June. We um, had a couple other topics we wanted to get into tonight, but I think, Father, it might um, lower the quality of the program. <laughs> if we well, it might distract from the... Yeah. Yes, we but uh, I, uh, I, I do appreciate those questions that came in. Um, and they, they involve the condition of the church today. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
the, the, the whole hierarchical authority structure within the church. So they're important questions, right? Yeah. So uh, let's uh, just dedicate next week's program to consider those. You've gotten, you've gotten several yes, messages about this, right, asking this. And they're not all the same question, right? Yeah. But they all come at the same question in different angles, yes. which yes. I found very interesting. Yes. Okay. Um, so I do think it's worth the time, Tom. We, we should just dedicate ourselves next week to address those questions. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Father. I appreciate it. God bless you. I um, just wanted to mention too, you have the um, your uh, anniversary of ordination to the to the priesthood coming up. Um, so congratulations on that in advance, Father. Well, thank we will, you very um, much. Tim. Be be praying for you there, and actually, um, we can I believe we'll post a link to this on our on our website. But we have um, certain um, prayers that we will be praying for your intentions um, uh, as a nine day novena leading up to your oh. uh, anniversary of ordination on June 29th. No, thank you so, very much. I appreciate that. I, I know that you and uh, uh, our tech support, a, our dear tech support lady, have produced a kind of, uh, what would you call it? A, it's a website. It's an actual website. It's right? a website dedicated uh, to. I appreciate that. You wanted me to approve it. Yes. But it's about me, and I can't approve anything about myself, especially things that are, say nice things. <laughs> so anyway, I kind of put that on Father Greenwell, but I understand he gave his seal of approval so uh that you're going to post that i thank you for that yes, and uh right. thank you appreciate all the prayers that are needed believe yes, right. absolutely well god bless you father and we'll do it again next week okay time to look forward to that <laughs> yep. thank you thank you to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of what catholics believe until next time we ask that you all remember the words of our lady at fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the immaculate heart of mary and to pray and do penance thank you and god bless you